Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK. How are you doing in Tucson? Are you still roasting out there? Well, actually, we're simmering right now. The roasting is going to take place (laughs) Sunday. Sunday, they're calling for 108. Yikes. Yikes. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Wow. You can't even keep that door handles in half the town. (laughs) Oh, got to bring out those oven mitts. Gee, that's, that's right. Gosh. It is. Well, I'm happy to say it's finally gorgeous in New England. We are ready for summer, and it's I'm I'm just it's so nice to walk out the door, not have to wear a coat. These are the mm-hmm. good times of doing. You know how we yeah, suffer we in the winter. So. Yes, <laughs> I certainly do. We'll so talk no. about that. Well, the nice thing is God does balance things out a little bit, doesn't he? We get this beautiful weather now, and we get get the oven. Exactly, exactly. Well, we've got a great guest coming up tonight, everybody. Jason Louv is with us. We are so honored to have him because he has a beautiful new book out. It is called John D. and the Empire of Angels, Enochian Magic and the Occult Roots of the Modern World. And there's a lot to talk about with this topic, so we're going to have Jason on in just a few. But first... We have to find out, PK, what's going on with the numbers? Well, I'll tell you. We have to remember, I have to preface it with, we were talking about secrets being made known this month and things being told that we didn't expect. Roseanne Barr outdid herself. So that's, you know, her her tweeting on her medication. Yeah, that was too bad. Oh, yeah. that was stupid. But the month itself, we're just one more day and we're finished with it. But it had to do with secrets being made known. But it deals really strongly with our spiritual side, much to do with our spirituality. And today happens to be a one day which is about new beginnings and new starts about what's taking place. And what better day than to have this lovely book brought to the public for us to talk about tonight. Jason's book is fabulous, and it brings out all the things that one wanted to learn about during this period of time. It's all about new beginnings but it's coming from the past, giving us pathways to look into that some of us didn't know existed. It's a definitely, it's a mind blower. The book is fantastic, and I can't say enough about it because it deals so strongly with all the spirituality that this month has been stockpiling, and now we get to have it at the very end laid out for us in total. Can't wait for the show. I love it. I know. I love this. This is so perfect. This is perfect timing for this material. It really is. And so 
I just want to bring to everybody's attention, we've got some great stories on our Facebook page, paranormal news that is just incredible. And we have a new perspective on extraterrestrials from Nityanda. It is so interesting. It's a very short video that we posted, but it is definitely (laughs) worth watching. I thought he did a great little presentation about uh, interdimensionals, extraterrestrials. It was fascinating. And, again, it's very short, but it was a lot of fun to listen to, and I think there's some great wisdom in there as well. And also we have this thing about the disappearing houses. They appear, they disappear. Now the question is, is it people's perception that gets shifted and suddenly they're in a different time and they see something that wasn't there before, but is from the 1700s or the 1600s. But there's a lot of stories about this, and that's also on our website. I mean, on our, not on our website, but it's on our Facebook page. Our page. So make mm-hmm. sure you go there. Yeah, take a look. I mean, it's a great, great story that's told about how people can shift into other time frames or other dimensions, and they see a totally different reality that apparently nobody else has seen. So at least in this contemporary world that's a lot of fun to read this stuff but my god how disorienting that would be don't you think well i kind of think it would be disorienting but at the same point in time part of the reality i live with on a day-to-day basis i would like to see in another time yeah <laughs> really, let's shift it, right? Shift it right after over. all we need a I break right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly well and we also had another guest on our show who talked about a place in connecticut where this happened fairly recently mm-hmm. where these people had gotten lost and they were driving around looking for this address they came upon police and fire worker firemen in some type of an accident they thought they stopped to ask the police for directions, and the police were not dressed like our police like normal police, and their cars were totally different. And they gave them some kind of directions, but they weren't good ones, and so they ended up in the back the back in the same spot. And when they came back to the same spot, everything was gone. No police, no firemen, nothing. It was all gone. So very strange experience there. It happens a lot, apparently, in this little triangle in Connecticut, in the Litchfield Hills. But, again, you have to wonder, are they walking into another reality, another dimension? Is it a time slip? And what is it that creates that? What is the mindset or what is the consciousness that allows for that to happen? It's so interesting. You know, I've noticed a lot of what transpires seems to take place in the Northeast. Yeah, you know what? It does. Yeah, and I wonder, because, I mean, out where you are in the southwest, you also have some major portals out there. But here yes. we have so much history. I mean, <laughs> the the conflict between the Native Americans and the settlers, and, I mean, there's a lot of energy trapped still to this day in these areas. So it's 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 just fascinating. But I've always wondered, is it that these homes and these houses and these places just reappear or are people's perceptions shifting to allow them to see it? So it's a great question. Chicken or egg, I think. That's the way this goes. But make, <laughs> that is exactly make the way sure, it goes. Yeah. So make sure, everybody, go to our Facebook page and uh, follow us. Give us a like so you can stay in touch with us there. Of course, you can find us on Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram and all those great places, as well as our website, Supernatural Girls with a Z, 
www.fringefriesnewsletter.com. And our French Files newsletter, we are making a transition with that. We're going to make it a video newsletter. So how about that? We're just bringing everything into the 21st century. So uh, keep us you know, keep timing. posted Perfect. with us. Yes, it is. It is. So that'll be a nice, entertaining thing to watch every week. Just a very short cap of what's coming up on the show, who we're going to be interviewing, and comments on our last show. Now, last week we Can had it? Amy Major, fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, psychic medium. And her book is all about how to become a rescue medium. So if you didn't hear that show last week, go back to our website or go back to Blog Talk and you can find it there. And I wanted to mention something, Patricia, because we have been talking so much on and off about dreams and the dream state of things. And I just went through this with one of my clients two days ago. And she said, I don't dream. And I said, I used to say I don't dream until you convinced me otherwise that we all do dream and how things fall into place and that you have been working with people in the dream analysis element for many years. So catch people up on how to get involved with that. Yes. You know, I really want to urge people to pay attention to their dreams, especially now when on the heels of what you just shared, PK, about the spiritual energy that is really built up this is a great time to write your dreams down if you don't remember your dreams that's okay you just need to start telling yourself every night before you go to sleep i will remember my dreams and keep something by your bedside whether it's your phone that you can make notes on or just a tablet and a pen and keep track of those dreams they're very powerful and as you know, we had guests on our show not too long ago talking about how people got diagnosed with some serious illnesses from their own dreams. And exactly. they also got treatment plans from their own dreams that worked for them. So, yes, it's a very powerful way to to get in touch with yourself and to find out what is going on in the deeper levels of your own consciousness. So, yeah, people want to work with me on dreams. You can find me on the website, supernaturalgirls.com. And if people want a numerological reading with you, PK, they can find you on our website and on your own website, patriciakirkman.com. So it's a good time to find out what's coming up for the summer for you people, and that's the way to do it, in my opinion. So tonight... I'm ready for our guest, that's for sure. I'm chopping at the bit to hear about it. I know, I know. We got to stop talking and get him to start talking. Right. So this is who he is. This man is a scholar. He is the author of seven books, including Generation Hex, Ultra Culture, and the Psychic Bible. Psychic Bible. That's how it's written. Okay. He runs the high traffic site ultraculture.org and teaches courses on magic and spirituality at magic.org. Me, that's M-E. He has written for many popular websites, including Boing Boing, Vice News, Motherboard, and Esquire Online. Jason lives in Los Angeles. And Jason, we're so glad to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me on. Now, I got to ask you, Jason, this is quite the book. How long did it take you to write this? Well, Let's see. Well, I, I first started working on the subject about 15 years ago, but the actual writing of the book took three years total, I would say. That's pretty much as a full-time job. You know? That is. 
That is. And again, everybody, I want to tell you the title again. It's John D. and the Empire of Angels, Enochian Magic and the Occult Roots of the Modern World. Now, you've covered so much in this book, I kind of hardly know where to begin. But um, let's talk a little bit about what got you involved with this subject. Why John D.? Sure. Why the Empire of Angels? Why Enochian Magic? What was it that caught your attention about this? Well, I've been interested in the field of magic and meditation and mysticism and esoteric spirituality and all of this lovely and exciting stuff for probably about 20 years now. And in that time, I have practiced, researched, and involved myself in, you know, immersed myself in every single discipline for consciousness alteration or esoteric spirituality or enlightenment, if you will, that I could find. As part of that, I've traveled all over the world. I've gone up 13,000 feet into the Himalayas to study yoga with gurus. I've become a Sufi. I was initiated as a shaman in the foothills of Nepal and, you know, other normal things you do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, everyone's, yes. everyone's got to have, everyone's got to have a hobby, right? Um, mm-hmm. And wow. in that one. time, in that time, I became fascinated with Enochian magic, particularly and John Dee, because I, it was certainly of all the Western magical traditions that I studied, it was the most fascinating and perhaps potent and has also, frankly, had the most impact, impact on our world when you consider that it, it was right there at the center of the creation of not only the British Empire and the American Empire, but the birth of modern science, and it was involved in the birth of the U.S. space program, and it's studying Dee and the Enochian magic that he delivered is a really interesting locus on seeing how magic became science and can tell us a lot about who we are as people and why the world is the way that it is. So for me, it's one of the most fascinating stories in the whole canon of esoteric spirituality and it's one that has been written about that I really felt deserved the ultimate book because no one had written the book that pieced the whole story together and that's what I decided I had to do well you did it congratulations thank you that's for sure yeah it's it's incredible but you know I had never there's a whole bunch of material in here that I had not heard before and we have interviewed other authors like our good friend Lon Ducat, who we absolutely love and adore, but we hadn't heard some of these key points that you brought out, like the purpose that the angels had in trying to get everybody under unified, basically, uh, all these different religions coming together, that that was a big goal. That I had never heard before. That was fascinating. Neither had I. It was something that I discovered in my academic research on the subject. And it was actually that idea that was so shocking that it, no one had talked about this before. It was finding out that idea that convinced me that this book had to be written. So the deal with John Dee is that John Dee was the court alchemist, court scientist to Queen Elizabeth I. He was uh, an intellectual and a scientist, perhaps the smartest man in Europe of his day. He was also the original 007, that was the code name that Elizabeth gave him in the British Secret Service, which he helped start. 
he was also fascinated with the occult and with the idea of contacting angels through occult means. One of the ideas that the angels gave him was that there should be a British Empire. He was the person to coin that phrase. And so the very fact that a British Empire even exists comes out of a seance that an alchemist had in talking to angels. But even more shockingly than that, the angels that Dee and his, his assistant, his psychic, uh, psychic assistant, Edward Kelly, uh, helps him with contacting angels over about 10 years. The, what they were told by the angels in, that, in those sessions, if you believe that that's something, if the angels were actually real and not just in their imagination, but what, whatever that was, the angels told them that there should be one world empire underneath Elizabeth, a new world order, and that there should be one world religion uniting not only Christianity and, or excuse me, the warring branches of Christianity, so Catholicism and Protestantism, but even Islam and Judaism and paganism, one world religion so that everyone on earth would be controlled by one political system and one spiritual system under the domination of the angels so that the end of the world could be brought uh, to hand and the whole story wrapped up. And now that's a, that's a, a pretty apocalyptic story and a pretty intense story if I've ever heard one. So the thing with D is, is that all the people that have, yeah, all the, all the people who have written about D have either written biographies about him, studying his scientific achievements and discounting all of the magic side of it, or they've written about the magic side without talking about the wider context of his political and scientific work. And when you put those two things together, well, as I've described it before, it's like splitting the atom in reverse. You get the whole picture of what was happening and you get the whole picture of what's been going on. It's not just D, but it's the secret history of Western culture, the secret history that the people who run Western culture have been operating on for the last 500 years but that they just don't teach us in high school because it's just a little bit too weird. I guess. But I mean, you talk about John Dee this way, and clearly he's been written about before as a genius. I mean, he had so many talents. He was absolutely brilliant. And now, but Edward Kelly is written about as a psychic, but also a criminal. What's, what happened with that? Mm-hmm. So Edward Kelly was a which is somebody who uses a crystal ball or a piece of crystal as a focus to go into trance. Not just, it's not just a stereotypical image of a fortune teller staring into a crystal. What you have to understand is that the crystal was only a tool to use to go into a trance, an altered state of consciousness through which other realms of reality could be accessed, just like in lucid dreaming or hypnosis or something like that. Now, Kelly was half D's age. He was an itinerant psychic. He was an alcoholic, overweight, had had his ears cut off of forging coins, was a cat been accused of summoning demons and summoning corpses from graveyards, that type of thing. Some of that was, was scandal and rumor. Some of it was very likely true. He was a dubious individual, whereas D was really at the heights of power in Elizabethan England. He was a member of the Elizabethan court. He was, had the favor of the queen. Uh, Kelly was from the wrong side of the tracks. But it took the two of them working together to really make any headway because Dee was purely intellectual in his study of 
of the occult side of things. He was purely academic in a way and didn't have psychic faculties or the ability to go into alternate states of consciousness. So he had to rely on Kelly to do that. And Kelly was a genius in his own right with those skills. And the two of them together formed something greater than the sum of it, a whole greater than the sum of its parts, a third mind, as Burroughs and Geisen would have put it. No, oh, that's a nice way to put it, yes. Now, this this whole system that they developed and understanding the language was was complex, very complex. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's one of the things that makes their work hard to dismiss because normally if you've ever seen channeled writing or the types of message that psychics tend to deliver, it's usually very vague, very flowery, will say things like, everything's going to be fine. We're going into a new age of consciousness for the awakening of humanity, and you need to release your karma and so on and so forth. It's usually quite vague. What Ian Kelly got was 10 years of things that look like instructions on how to build circuit boards. Wow. And, and what that really was was instructions on how to make something called the Holy Table of Practice, which was a ritual set up for making further contact with the angels. And then, of course, the angelic or Enochian language itself, which was a completely new language with its own set of, its own alphabet, its own grammar, its own syntax, more or less. The, the angel said was the, angel, the language spoken by angels and language spoken by humanity before the fall from the Garden of Eden. And this language could be used not only to speak with angels, but to directly alter reality itself. So no just, kidding. You know, and, now, and that was just the beginning. <laughs> wow. Now, with you learning all of all of these things, and obviously having the training that you've had, which is extensive in mysticism, shamanism, all of these wonderful adventures you've had in consciousness, have you mastered the Enochian language? Have you learned it? Well, I don't think anyone has ever has, has mastered Enochian. It's so huge. And you mentioned Lon Duquette, who... I, I think it's just amazing. And I actually just did a podcast with him a few days ago. I interviewed him for my podcast. And, oh, no kidding. You know, Lon, <laughs> yeah, Lon has been working on Enochian for maybe 30 years. I learned Enochian from Lon in one of his workshops 15 years ago. And he has, you know, he says that, you know, even he feels like he's just learning to play you know, a few basic songs in the, the great, you know, the great universal symphony of, of Enochian. I mean, when we're talking about Enochian, we're, we're talking about something that is not for humans necessarily. You know, humans can see a corner of it, but at least according to the angels, it's the system by which the angels operate. And angels are so many magnitudes of in, greater in intelligence by far than human beings that we really have to stretch ourselves almost past the limits of human capacity even to begin to start understanding the way they see things, at least in my view. So, so I certainly practiced Enochian. I've done, I've worked at it for years and years, but I, I wouldn't say that I've mastered it or, that, or perhaps that I ever will. Gosh. Well, it, again, to me, it, it looks incredibly complex and clearly you're dealing with spiritual beings of that magnitude. I can, I'm trying to wrap my mind around everything you're saying. I mean, it's, this is a, a huge, huge step into another 
experience of reality. So certainly it would it would take at least a lifetime to very to mind boggling. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah, so don't feel bad for being mind boggled. Don't feel bad for being <laughs> mind boggled. I've been trying to wrap my mind around it for 15 years, and I'm still struggling <laughs> with it. So well, then I feel better. Mind I'm not alone. <laughs> My mind yes, expands exactly. as, I, as I try to stretch it to wrap it around the Enochian, so that's good. But, but, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's of the entire, what I say about it is of the entire field of magic, at least of Western magic, is something like meditation and sigils is arithmetic, and, then, and perhaps the Golden Dawn, Crowley, Thelema are geometry and trigonometry. Well, then Enochian is calculus, and it's the advanced calculus and differential calculus of the occult world and it's, it's it's something that people don't come to until you know usually very very far into their magical career and even then it's it's a daunting subject to say the least but a it fascinating is, but and beautiful about, subject oh it is and and you talk about it in the book about it, it's a primary system i mean a lot of these other systems you refer to their uh, pieces of the whole or pieced together, I think you've described them as. And yet this is a very pure and primary system. And it looks that way. I mean, you look at the, the tables that have been created and, oh, my God. I mean, it, again, it's complex. It's so complex, not complicated, but just complex in, in its construction. So is that's the way you still see it as something being very primary? That's right. In, in my academic training and in, in studying texts, we were always taught, or, or in, in studying history, you know, for instance, there's a huge difference between secondary texts, which is people writing about history and writing down what they think it might have been like and trying to construct a secondhand account of things, and then a primary text, a primary text being something like somebody's journal entries where they were writing history down happening around them. So, uh, or, you know, a, a videotape or, you know, some type of written document that was right there, a directly recorded thing. So it's similar with magic, but the thing that makes Enochian a primary, uh, a primary system, uh, to, to use those words, is that Enochian is top-down delivered instead of bottom-up reconstructed. So most forms of magic, let's say the Golden Dawn or... Even neo-paganism, so northern neo-paganism or the various neo-pagan reconstructionist movements that we've seen in the 20th century, well, all of those are trying to put something together that's somebody's best guess. We think this is how it might have worked back in ancient Egypt. We think this is how it might have worked back in ancient Scandinavia. We don't really know, but this is our best guess. Um, with Enochian, the angels show up and say, this is how it works. We're going to give you the exact instructions. Do it exactly as we say. We're delivering you the primal magic system from the dawn of history. So a little bit different. <laughs> yes. And a little bit more interesting. Oh at least Fascinating. Now, do you have an Enochian table? Uh, I, sh- I, I sure do. I built one. Yeah. You did? Took me about a year. How long did it yeah, take you to do that? About a year. About a year. Oh, wow. It's 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 an extremely it's a grueling process. <laughs> I think it must be. And they're again these these tables are absolutely gorgeous. I know I have a picture of one of Lon's. I think Lon has a table also because I remember him sending me a photo of it. 
and they're beautiful. Again, those very tablets. beautiful. Yeah, those tablets, by the way, are maybe about 5% of the entire thing, 10% of the entire thing that you have to build. They're just one facet. There's, there's, there's several dozen Enochian implements that have to be built and put together. And the Enochian tablets are, are not the Enochian table. The Enochian tablets sit on top of the Enochian table, which is a three-foot-by-three-foot three altar that uh, is made up of all kinds of wax and metal sigils and all kinds of stuff. Silk. It's and I mean the, the and Scrod's crying ball. It's it's a it's a serious undertaking. It is. Do but you then have now a picture you have of your table. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I haven't released a picture of that. It's mine. No. It's my private table. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. It's special. Yes. And it's yours. And so you use this in magical um, ceremony. Uh, well, I've done I've done a lot of Enochian. Some Enochian, the the table helps with. Some you don't need it. Um, I've done it both ways. Um, I've, I've, I've yeah, I've spent a lot of time. I, you know, I spent a, a tremendous. That's why I said at the beginning. You asked me how long it took me to write this book. I, I said fifteen years, but three years. It took me. Three years to write the book, but you know I was experimenting with Enochian off and on for twelve years before that, both by myself and in groups. Um, you know, people that I, I chose to work, you know, thought to bring uh, bring on to help help me work on the system. But uh, yeah, I mean, so that in itself is a, just understanding the system is a tremendous undertaking. But understanding the history and D and all of that is a whole other level to it. Well, again, we can't recommend your book more highly. I mean, this is this is the book. And it again, it's called John D and the Empire of Angels: Enochian Magic and the Occult Roots of the Modern World. We are speaking with Jason Louvre tonight on Supernatural Girls Radio, and we're going to take a very short commercial break. I see there's people calling in. They may have questions for you, Jason, so we're going to try to get to all of that tonight. So stay tuned, everybody. We will be right back. Astridian is a family of cosmetic products with 98% pure ionized minerals. We combine our science with a blend of essential oils to nourish and take care of your skin's health. How does it work? All Astridian products contain the proprietary redox technology, having the capability of simulating an ionic zinc-copper superoxide dismutase effect. This free radical scavenger currently in your body has been diminished by toxins and the daily stresses of life. It is a perfectly balanced mineral complex that all $200 an hour dermatologists, their professors, and ancient history have proven. Redox technology is a process of reducing the skin's oxidation by transferring electrons from a radical state to a stress-free normal condition. Oxidative stress is a form of cellular aging, and as science has proven, a precursor to disease. The free radical theory of aging states that organisms age because cells accumulate free radical damage over time. Damaged cells are not beautiful, but healthy cells are. The Astridium family is presented in four different uses that cover unique benefits to your body. They are the Essential Anti-Aging Series, the Multivitamin Series, Sports Series, and Professional Series. Regain your youth with the power of Astridium. Visit www.astridium.com and inquire. Use the code SUPERNATURAL and receive a 10% discount on your first purchase. Astridian, the beauty of being healthy. (laughs) 
Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With cosmic fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK, and our great guest tonight, Jason Louv, is with us. He is the author of a new book, and it is called John D. And the Empire of Angels, Enochian Magic, and the Occult Roots of the Modern World. So, my gosh, where do we go from here? Jason, tell us about, well, I have a question, first of all, from the chat room. They want to know, did Dee and Edward Kelly ever see these angels? Did he ever have visions of them? They saw them on a daily basis. And you have to remember these guys were doing these rituals to contact angels two to three times a day on a, on a pretty punishing time schedule for seven plus years. And absolutely, and they saw them both in, you might, Kelly saw them in trance states, saw them within the scrying crystal, but increasingly as the sessions went on, they saw them in the house with them. They would see apparitions of them out and about in the world. It was pretty nonstop for them. And uh, when, they, when we're talking about angels, by the way, this is not Hallmark card angels. You know, this is not rosy-cheeked carobs. This is when they saw angels, they were talking about seeing beings made of wings covered in, in eyes and, with he- you know, giants with heads uh, of suns and, and pillars of brass for legs and, uh, you know, female angels and sexual angels and, 
Uh, at one point, they see God, and God is not an old man with a white beard, but a, a giant whale covered with eyes. <laughs> a whale? So, yeah, they saw him all right. Oh, good Lord, wow. scary. Oh, my goodness. They saw him all right. So they did. And did, I mean, I don't know, I guess they wouldn't have written about it, maybe they did. Did this strike them with any kind of fear, or were they comfortable with seeing what they saw? Religious terror. I mean, most of what they uh-huh. were seeing was so frightening to them that uh, not in a bad way, but in a way that they were, sh- it was shock and awe for them. And, and, it, uh, you know, they were constantly begging for, the repent- for repentance to repent and for their souls to be saved because they were constantly being, you know, con- confronting these, being confronted by these very, very Old Testament angels flaming swords, you know, explaining to them how they would be damned forever for even the slightest transgression. It was, uh, they were being spiritually educated and spiritually trained in the angel school, but it was, they were harsh schoolmasters. And and so most of the sessions they spent, they spent in a a state of religious terror and religious awe, alternately. Gosh. Well, I don't, that doesn't sound very pleasant, but they continued for 10 years. But here's a question for you. They committed themselves to this endeavor. They did an incredible job. And yet the goal of the angels didn't manifest. How come? Well, did it or didn't it? I think that one of the ways that people trip themselves up when they get interested in magic or this side of things is they expect things to be too literal and they expect things to happen on their timeline, their time scale. Ah, uh, good point. Angels or gods or spirits, whatever you want to call them, they don't live in the same world as humans or the same plane of reality as humans. They live outside of the surface of time, as, as the writer Kenneth Grant put it. And so a lot of times what happens is, for instance, Ian Kelly kept getting predictions from the angels that the world would end in 88. That's all they said, 88. And Dean Kelly assumed that this meant 1588. And then when nothing happened in 1588, although he did turn back the Spanish Armada, which is a turning point in the history of the entire world, uh, when nothing, when the world didn't end in 1588, they assumed that the angels were fabricating all of this information and giving them incorrect information. Well, they never said 50, they never said 1588. It just said 88, and it was Dean Kelly that interpreted it as 1588. So, and like, similarly, so the angels say that the world is coming to an end, the Antichrist is here, the entire world must be brought under one dominating government and religion. Well, did that happen in Dee's lifetime? No, but if we look at the last 400 years of history kind of sideways, if you will, and consider that perhaps the spread of global capitalism, the spread of the neoliberal world order, the uh, colonization of the entire planet by first the British and then the American empire, uh, which of course are Christian empires, and the colonization of so many indigenous and aboriginal people at sword point and being forced to convert to Christianity in, in an ongoing global tragedy, perhaps. Well, then, did did the angels plan happen or didn't it? I'm not convinced that it didn't. 
I just think that uh-huh. sometimes we need to look at things sideways a little bit and not be quite so literal because magic is not literal. This is why people always discount it. They, it magic is quite subjective and fuzzy in a way uh, because it's talking about levels of reality that are not rational and are not, you know, can't be put on a clock timeline or something like that. When we're dealing with magic. We're dealing with the symbolic and archetypal levels of reality. We're dealing with uh, the levels of, you know, how meaning is constructed by human beings from generation to generation. It's a very, very different level of the human experience as a whole, if you will, than, you know, your your to-do list or your list of what you're going to be eating for dinner for the next week. Uh, those are different things, <laughs> and they, they can't be mixed up. So I'm not convinced the angel's plan didn't happen. And when we talk about the end of the world, by the way, everyone assumes like, oh, there will be a specific date where the world will end. I don't think so. I think the end of the world is an ongoing process. I think if you look at the last 300, 400 years, what have we seen? The disintegration of everything, the disintegration of the world's tradition, the disintegration of the environment, the disintegration of art and language and the imagination. When you consider that in Elizabethan England, Shakespeare was the art for even the common people, and now we can barely read Shakespeare, and not just because of the archaic English, but because Mm -hmm. we just can't get that level of subtlety of meaning. We've lost that faculty, despite the fact that our technology has advanced so much. Religion has ended. Nobody is religious. Nobody has, you know, pays any credence whatsoever to the idea that there are deeper levels of reality by which their conduct must be measured, perhaps. And so I think if John D. was to time travel to 2018, he would consider this the end of the world. So it's an ongoing process, and that's how we have to look at these things. It's not like there's a specific date or a specific prophecy. It's there, it's, it's, we have to look at magical thinking and magical prophecies as po- perhaps poetic descriptions is a good way to look at it, poetic descriptions of deeper levels of meaning and, and things to come. Well said. It makes a lot of sense in, in how you discuss this. Yes, that's, that's very understandable now. Now, when they went through all of this construct and all, and all of these communications and channeling and scrying, they talk about, here's the question, the watchtowers. Can you t- break that down for us? What are the watchtowers? So the watchtowers are the Enochian tablets, and they are related to the four directions, the four cardinal directions, and they're also related to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And Mm -hmm. I think that they are essentially dimensional gateways that are to be opened as the world ends. And, and, And that's not literal, as in you saw like a dimensional gateway open in the sky somewhere. It's these are gateways that are opened in the deep parts of human consciousness. Um, and the, that's the watchtower. That's one way of understanding the watchtowers. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, sometimes when I, to be quite honest with you, when we're talking about questions like this, I have to think about what I should say publicly and what I should just keep to myself, not because I don't think people shouldn't know things, but because, you know, we're talking about apocalyptic, apocalyptic architecture. 
So okay, <laughs> we don't want to scare but anybody. You, you have but yeah, you have to tease us into it because sometimes we don't understand until we get a smack right in our forehead. You know that, right? Okay. Well, look, the, the world is coming to an end, right? And that doesn't mean, as I've touched on before, it doesn't mean that. Uh, you know, the skies are going to open up and there's going to be angels mm-hmm. and demons and brimstone and all that left-behind nonsense. It's not like that. It means that the all of the structures of human culture are crumbling and are being reborn and rebuilt as something new, and the human project uh, is disintegrating. All we have to do is turn on the news to see that. The question is, is it disintegrating and ending, or is it dying and being reborn? Well, if you look at nature, everything in nature is in a constant process of dying and being reborn. You know, plants spring up and then are cut down and then die and then become fertilizer for the next ones. And the form is similar, but it's a new plant. So humans are the same. Animals are the same. Well, why would cultures and civilizations be any different? But I think it's important to be very hermetic about things. The hermetic magicians have the dictum as above, so below. They look to nature to understand the spiritual world, the higher realms. And I don't think that the spiritual realms are, and, and, and human culture are, are outside of nature. I think everything is part of nature, uh, all the way down to language and culture and meaning and our capacity to, to mythologize and all of this stuff is part of nature. So uh, I think that you know worlds are constantly ending and being born and the end of the world and the apocalypse is part of human existence it's just it's something you know everybody has an apocalypse you know every, everyone dies right the world comes to an end for everyone individually uh, and 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 uh, if we're lucky it may come to an end to us for us many times in our life and then be reborn before the final so that we get used to it but um I think it's the same for cultures. I think it's the same for, you know, whole whole continents, perhaps, whole civilizations, whole iterations of humanity without going out too far on a limb. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the embodiment of the phoenix for all of us individually and then as a planet as well, which I guess when you put it in those terms, you can understand that. It makes mm-hmm. It makes certain sense. That's for sure. But... For you, when you've done this kind of work and you've studied it for so long and you've used it in your own magical practice, now, have you encountered these angels yourself? Well, you know, it's funny. I think that everyone that you talk to that does Enochian, it's different for everyone. And what Dean Kelly saw is probably not what people who might do Enochian these days will see. One of the reasons for that is that uh, the magical visions that one experiences while doing an OCN are generated by whatever's already in your head. You know, they have to be, everything has to be formed out of some type of clay, you know, some type of base clay. And that's kind of what's already embedded in your nervous system in most cases. So um, I've had many uh, unbelievable and intense and profound and shocking and enlightening and terrifying experiences doing an OCN magic. But none of them have been the same as Dean Kelly's. None of them have been the same as Crowley's. And I think that's as it should be because it's a very personal thing. You know, it's, it's, it's individualized for each person. 
Yeah, and I get the feeling that you're a very powerful magician. I really do. And it must be very exciting <laughs> to have, have what does access. That mean? I'm you know? I, I don't know, but I just can sense you, that you, with can you. you can you send that it, information it feels, to the IRS, please? Yeah, I, can you tell the, the IRS, IRS that? It, we'll see what they, we'll see they, what they say about you. it. They better not bother you. No, they're not bothering me. I just mean, you um, know. No, but you just ignore them. <laughs> That's right. You don't have to pay attention to them. You're a magician. But no, really, I sense that. Yeah, I don't know about that. You. <laughs> you, carry a lot, <laughs> you carry a lot of this power. And you, it's, a, it's a very, it's interesting because the way I, I am sensing your energy is it's not something that you are uh, bragging about or, I mean, you're very humble about the work that you do, but it's powerful. And how nice for people because people can, I, I guess you're teaching classes, right? So people can study with you? I am teaching classes and I, I do want, I want people to be empowered because uh, we live in a, a time and a period in history where people are very confused, where they, the, the, you know, because we do live in the end of the world, frankly, where, you know, people don't have a lot of guiding structure they don't really have a sense of what they should be doing with their lives in many cases. Uh, you know, people are no longer religious. They, they don't have religious bodies to turn to, and the media, and certainly social media, are of no help to people in constructing meaningful lives. So I want people to be empowered. But I want people to be empowered to live the lives that are right for them, to, to live their true wills, to... Uh, you know, lead the life that they're meant to live and not just empowered individually, but empowered to help the world and help those around them and be empowered as a community. It's not just about the individual. The individual empowerment can only go so long before it becomes sociopathy, you know, and and, uh, all we have to do is look at our current president to see that without going too far down that rabbit hole. But it's about network empowerment it's about people being empowered as a group uh, together you know and doing human life in a meaningful and profound and loving and loving way so that's how i feel and and so i of course teach courses online at magic.me that's magic with a k m-a-g-i-c-k dot m-e i teach i do teach in Nokia magic but i also teach uh, everything from basic chaos magic and meditation Hardcore meditation, Raja Yoga, Esoteric Buddhism, Astral Projection, Lucid Dreaming, Tarot, I Ching, uh, all kinds of great stuff, Ceremonial Magic, Golden Dawn type magic, and there's, there's a lot more coming because uh, I'm really focusing on growing that site out right now. Uh, and there's a big, big community of students who are uh, very, very sincere and interested, which has been a great surprise and, uh, for me and that I'm very, very excited about seeing how much interest there is that people have. So, yeah, that's magic.me. Sounds fabulous. Well, that's terrific. Yeah, really. I mean, I want to encourage people to go there if our audience has interest, and I know they do, in these types of of things because I I really know and I know PK you know this too that you're a very good teacher Jason and and you're you're very you. um you're going to you're helping a lot of people to get the direction they need as you mentioned there is a lot of confusion out there and people are looking for a, a right path and mm-hmm. there's certainly a lot of choices in what you're teaching where people can find their right path whether it's I Ching or the yoga or whatever meditation 
or chaos magic, whatever they're drawn to. So you have a tremendous amount of choices. I love that name, right. chaos magic. And I've got people texting me right now saying, <laughs> what is chaos magic? So we're going to have to go there for a minute. Can you tell us a little bit about what okay. that is? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in by way of segueing into that topic, I will say that the great thing about magic, you talk about people finding a path and things like that, the great thing about magic is it's not a dogma. It's not telling you to believe something. It's actually not, and it's not telling you to do anything, certainly. Um, magic is really the best of all worlds. Uh, it's kind of the perfect medium in that you get all the tools and the, the sacred experiences and the, the deep meaning of religion because you, you get the tools of, you get the tools to induce the religious experience without the dogma of religion and the rules and people telling you what to do or not to do. So in magic, we have the idea of the true will, which is that every individual has a true will, something that they are here to do, something that they incarnated to do, their role in the world, the thing that is most true and right for them on, a deepest, on the deepest level. And that's not something specific like a job or a career or something like that. It's, it's the person that they're meant to be, truly meant to be, and that they will be in a state of disappointment and despair if they don't become. I think we all have that, but the, the beautiful thing is that it's different for everybody. Everyone's got a different orbit in this cosmos. Everyone's got a different true will. And so what magic offers and what magic is, is a set of tools to uncover that and then to, then to be empowered to do it. And so, yes, I offer all these different things, chaos, magic, astral projection, tarot, all these things. But it's not that they're different paths. It's just that they're different tools for accomplishing that central task, which is discovering what one truly wants to do with one's life and then and becoming empowered enough to do it, to have the strength to do it. Because we do live in a culture that greatly discourages that and just wants people to play it small, take the safe route, take the safe job and, you know, tune out on Netflix or whatever. And that's not enough for everyone. That's not enough for a lot of people. It might be enough for some people. And that's, that's wonderful. Some people want something more and magic.me is for those people. So chaos magic to specifically answer your question uh, in the context of what I've just said, chaos magic is not necessarily a branch of magic as much as it is an attitude and chaos magic is really the punk rock of magic. It's the <laughs> idea that you don't need, yeah, I mean, and it happened at the same time in the 70s. It's, it's the idea that you don't need uh, dogmas, you don't need systems, you don't need, you know, previously prior to chaos magic, magic had always been part of different religions. You had to follow a certain religious path to do it, whether that's Buddhism or Hinduism or, or whatever it is, Sufism. Uh, or um, you don't need that, you don't need the gods, all of that. You don't need to believe in anything, that actually belief is antithetical, antithetical excuse me, to magic, and that all you need to do magic is, uh, you know, good enough intention and altered states of consciousness, and that you just need the techniques of generating religious experiences and magical experiences, but you don't need to believe anything. You don't need to buy into a dogma or believe that gods are literally real, in fact, you can make up your own uh, gods and religions and spiritual systems, and it'll work just as good in some cases as some established religion. But it came out of you. It's yours. It's yours alone. 
for chaos magic is the, the attitude of approaching magic and spirituality and religion as, a, as an artistic process in which everything is up for grabs. Gosh, it sounds like fun. That's mm-hmm. terrific. Oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Next thing you know, you'll yeah. spend 20 years doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, the whole, it's the greatest show on earth, in my opinion, you know. The greatest uh, secret yes. show, as Clive Barker called it. Yeah. Well, somebody's also writing in. It's they want to know how much you charge. How much do you charge for your classes, Jason? Are they all different prices, or? So current, most of the courses are fifty-five dollars, but the, I have a great subscription package, which is forty-nine a month to watch all of them. And, wow! Uh, those prices, those prices may be going up in the near future because my students actually, my because of my students, they keep emailing me and telling me on our live calls. I do live Q&As as part of this also. For people who are subscribed, you can ask me a question in live, live video. Um, uh, you know, my students keep saying, like, dude, you're giving us too, like, please stop. Like, you're giving us way too much. You need to charge more. You're really selling yourself short. I think they're concerned for my well-being. So my students are urging oh, me to goodness. charge more for my own, uh, my own well-being. So the prices are probably going to go up soon. But that's the price now, and anybody who gets it at that price currently will be grandfathered in if I raise the prices, which will probably be in about a week or two. Okay, okay well, everybody, you better jump on now. How, how many do you uh, anticipate, how many classes do they take, how many uh, sessions? Well, involved? right now there's 50. So it's completely up to the person how much they mm-hmm. want to go in or not. Of course, they can stay subscribed for as little or as long of a period of time as they want. Um, but right now, there's about 15 classes on the site, which are each between three to six hours each. So there's a lot of material there, a lot. Yeah, you know, and I'm constantly so. adding fabulous. to it. Yeah, I've been adding tons and tons just recently, so it's, it's growing. Mm-hmm. But people yeah. can choose their own pathway through it. Some people are more interested in, you know, like, for instance, some people are just interested in the meditation part. And that's great. Some people are interested in the, you know, the much more hands-on chaos magic thing. Some people just want to learn tarot or, or reaching. You know, different people are attracted to different things because there's, again, there's no one right way or right path for everyone. Everyone's got a different way of approaching this. So I just want to put all the tools out there without, you know, I, I, without telling people what to believe. I, I just want them right. to have the tools so they can do them right and then come to their own conclusions about what it all means. Oh, for them, for their life. Well, I was uh, fascinated by uh, Da Vinci's uh, Salvador Monday with Christ holding the crystal ball in his hand and thinking that... Oh, my God. That, uh, that was just fascinating to see that, the feel of that. It just has a draw towards me that uh, I'd never thought about before. Yeah, you know what? That image I saw, that was the very last thing that I put in the book uh, that, that the team, the publisher at Inner Traditions, we got into the book uh, because that uh, painting, so Salvatore Mundi, Salvatore Mundi by Leonardo mm-hmm. da Vinci, which is this beautiful image of, it's kind of a lost da Vinci of Christ holding uh, it's, it's supposed to be Christ holding uh, the world the savior of the world, Salvatore Mundi so he's holding an orb which in mm-hmm. And the art of the time it was meant to represent the world and, and regency and kingly power. Yet, if you look, it looks like a crystal ball. 
And the, the, the hilarious thing, I, this is a hilarious thing, that, that when they found this, there's this huge, there's still this huge debate. Was this really a Da Vinci? Because they look at the, uh, the crystal ball and they say, well, the perspective is off. It looks spectral or ghostly. Uh, da Vinci must have, you know, Da Vinci knew better technical form than to draw a crystal object this way. But they never considered, well, maybe he wanted it that way because he wanted it to look spectral and ghostly, you know? It's like they right. never consider that because, because they're so literal. Now, of course, I saw that and immediately, immediately I understood what it was. It's a scrying ball. It's Christ holding a scrying ball. Mm-hmm. What Da Vinci is saying with that is that you can use this technique, the scrying technique that Dee and Kelly were using, and more than them, but all the other magicians of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, the pre-Enlightenment period, uh, they used that scrying ball to contact angels as a religious, as a way to directly access the religious realms instead of relying on the dogma of the church. And so what, what Da Vinci is saying is, it's Christ saying, here, here's how you call me, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the scrying ball, oh. this is the tool you use. And, oh and my goodness! So, but the thing is, right? So that so here's the thing. So that painting went up on auction. The 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 I think the week before the book went to the printers, and uh, it was auctioned. It was the the, big, the the highest selling auction for a piece of artwork at Sotheby's ever. Right? Mm-hmm. Something like four and a half million dollars or something right. like that. I think it sold to like a Saudi oh. Arabian oil shake or something like oil oil bearing something crazy like that. Absolutely, but I saw it, and, and it was just in time. It was like, oh, that has to go in the book. It's perfect. Oh, it's yeah, a perfect definitely. image to bring out the central theme of the book, and, and and so beautiful also because it shows that magic is a holy art and and a, a good art and a, and a is a true path to religion and not mm-hmm. all this crap that people have associated with it. It's like all oh, black magic and Satan right. and Aleister Crowley and the devil and all this stuff. It's like. No, that's that's people's misperception of it. Uh, so I was I was so grateful that that showed up, and it was just the perfect thing to put in the book. I'm glad that you uh, picked up on it. Well, it was strange. I told Patricia just before we started the show that I woke. I, I difficulty sleep on occasion, so I woke up in the middle of the night and I turned on TV, of course, and you're thumbing through, and what pops up? But this painting, and they were talking about it being uh, sold and everything about it. I'm sitting there going mind-boggling because it is so totally gorgeous and something I hadn't even thought about, never saw before. And then when I got your book and I opened it up and there's the picture looking back at me again and I'm going, oh, wow, I've got to do more research on this. It's it's a beautiful image. And, you know, isn't Mm -hmm. it hilarious, by the way, the way that modern scholars think about these things, you know, they look at Da Vinci, oh, this couldn't have been a Da Vinci because Da Vinci couldn't, didn't know what he was doing. He didn't, you know, he wouldn't have painted a crystal ball like this. Or they look at John Dee, like, oh, John Dee thought he was talking to angels. Well, he must have been crazy or just superstitious because he lived 500 uh-huh. years ago. And they never stop to think, well, hang on. These are some of the greatest geniuses in world history, and we assume we know more than them? I don't think so. Right. That's right. That's right. It's a great way to put it. Well, we're going to take another very short commercial break, everybody. So stay tuned. Hang tight. We will be right back with Jason Luke, who is the author of a great new book that we've been discussing tonight, which is called John D. and the Empire of Angels. You will find that 
photograph of that painting in this beautiful book. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With Cosmic Fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Astridian is a family of cosmetic products with 98% pure ionized minerals. We combine our science with a blend of essential oils to nourish and take care of your skin's health. How does it work? All Astridian products contain the proprietary redox technology, having the capability of simulating an ionic zinc-copper superoxide dismutase effect. This free radical scavenger currently in your body has been diminished by toxins and the daily stresses of life. It is a perfectly balanced mineral complex that all $200 an hour dermatologists, their professors, and ancient history have proven. Redox technology is a process of reducing the skin's oxidation by transferring electrons from a radical state to a stress-free normal condition. Oxidative stress is a form of cellular aging, and as science has proven, a precursor to disease. The free radical theory of aging states that organisms age because cells accumulate free radical damage over time. Damaged cells are not beautiful, but healthy cells are. The Astridium family is presented in four different uses that cover unique benefits to your body. They are the Essential Anti-Aging Series, the Multivitamin Series, Sports Series, and Professional Series. Regain your youth with the power of Astridium. Visit www.astridium.com and inquire. Use the code SUPERNATURAL and receive a 10% discount on your first purchase. Astridium, the beauty of being healthy. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host in Tucson, PK, and our guest tonight, Jason Liu, who is the author of a new book, The Empire of Angels. It's John D. and The Empire of Angels. It's a great mm-hmm. book. It's a beautiful book. I think, Jason, you should win an award for this book. I really do. Oh, thank you. Okay. Definitely. That's good. Yes. Well, exactly. feel free to nominate me for any any you can think of. I, well, we'll love that. You. <laughs> we'll nominate you. No question about that. Now, one of the things that I noticed in the book is you talk about at the very beginning uh, the different kind of hierarchy, I guess, for lack of a better term, the seraphim, the cherubim. The, can you tell us a little bit about this hierarchy? Because I know people have often asked questions about it. It's never really been clear to me what the answers are. Yeah, so, by the way, this is actually um, theological. Uh, This is, you know, held to be theologically true by both the Catholic and the Orthodox Church. So this is not a fringe thing. This is mainstream Christian belief um, in in the Catholic and Orthodox churches. So the hierarchy of angels comes from uh, a theologian named Pseudo-Dionysus, the Arapagite, in about the 5th century, um, and, and was later picked up by you know, people in the Renaissance, people like um, Marsilio Ficino and, and several others, even Thomas uh, Loyola talks about it. But it's the idea that there are nine ranks of angels, and the very top being seraphim, followed by cherubim, and then there's dominions, thrones, powers, and principalities, all the way down to, and then there's virtues, all the way down to archangels, and then angels, and angels are the lowest rank of angels overall. And the angels tend to be the guardian angels that look out over individual people in their life. But it, it, it you know, when we're at the lower end of the scale, we're, the angels tend to appear human and not particularly different from human beings. Those are the angels you can think of with white robes and wings and that type of thing, although they don't always appear with wings. But as you go further up the scale, it starts to get weirder and weirder and more psychedelic and bizarre and, uh, in some cases, frightening. And that's when we—that's when people start to meet beings like the, uh, you know, the, 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 the beings from the Book of Ezekiel, you know, the wings of wheels. Excuse me, wheels of wings, and then, you know, the seraphim are said to have six wings with eyes in them, two covering their their head, two covering their feet, and two by which to fly, their their eyes and their wings by which they see, and lots of that kind of thing, lots of eyes and lots more wings. <laughs> just eyes and wow. wings as you go further up the scale. Oh, my goodness. Now, so that's, what people, that's I, one of the things I, people don't realize about angels, and I really wanted to bring this out because people assume that angels are very milquetoast and Hallmark card, but no, it's, it's yeah, a very right. profound and deep world mythology. Kind of scary well, it's in a way. It, it's more abstract. Well, God is scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Did again, you know the word reverence? The point of reverence. I'm sorry, Jason. Say that again. Do you know the word, do you know the word reverence? Right. Yes. Yeah, so, so of course, this is for, for listeners who may not know this. Is reverence uh, is the, the attitude counseled in Christian prayer manuals from the Middle Ages, for instance, the Cloud of Unknowing, which is a classic of Christian mysticism, 
and, and, and that book says that the proper attitude to take towards God in the higher realms is reverence, and reverence is a combination of love and fear. You know, ah. to be in awe of God, but yeah. to be afraid of, be afraid because because the, um, you know, how else can you humble yourself? Because the whole point of Christian mysticism, the whole point of of mysticism is to humble yourself before the divine. It's not to make yourself a big deal. It's to fit yourself to the divine order. And, uh, you know, this is an idea that has been lost in modern times and even in modern mysticism or the new age. And, and I say in the book, the whole point of mysticism is sanctification and illumination. So sanctification is the destruction of the ego, the destruction of the, the individual practitioner's story about who they think they are and illumination is then filling them with divine wisdom so that they can be fit to what God wants for them. And that's that's not just mysticism, that's you know, that's mainline Christian theology and one of the interesting things about this book is understanding how little difference there really is. Mm. Well you've also talked about in one of your other interviews that I heard about um our evolution actually being helped in a great way by communicating with these other entities, whether they be angelic or something else from another dimension. This is all a good thing, and it helps us create our own freedom. So can you expound on that a little bit more? Because I really liked what you were talking about. I agree Mm -hmm. with that completely. Well, it's not necessarily all a good thing, because when we're talking about spirit, or the spirit world, or whatever you want to call that, the astral plane, you know, the non-physical parts of consciousness, um, it's full of all kinds of things. It's as full uh, of as many different things as the physical world is as full of people, you know, and, and you have to be careful what you're doing. You have to make sure you're talking to the right being. Now, in terms of angels as a specific class of being, I think that, yes, absolutely, I mean, this is, angels, are the next level of evolution up from human beings, right? And demons are far down, right? Down far, far further down the scale, even than animals. But uh, angels are the next step of evolution past us. And so the whole Elizabethan theory of magic is that the way to evolve, I mean, evolution is a modern concept, but for them, the idea of the way to be uh, sanctified is to, um, you know, make contact with the next level up. You know, I mean, if you think about it in, in these terms, you know, even in the physical world, in your human life, your life is going to be a lot different depending on who you hang out with. If you hang out with people who are doing better than you and are smarter and happier than you, then you're going to you're gonna evolve a lot quicker than if you were hanging out with low sta- people with standards lower than yours. If you hang out with people with low standards who don't want anything for their lives, who just want to get along, and get by to get along and, you know, or people who are into drugs, that type of thing, you know, people who are sliding down or sliding backwards, then your, your standard will meet theirs eventually. And you will backslide just as fast as they are. Whereas if you hang out with people who are, you know, uh, doing much better than you, then you'll evolve much quicker. Why would it not be, why would it be any different in the spiritual world? Mm-hmm. If you hang out with angels, you're going to evolve pretty quick, as frightening and painful as it may be, right? Because the hallmark of a, of a real religious, if, if spiritual experiences are all comfortable, then you're probably deluding yourself. 
if they're all, you know, flattering you and making you seem great, then you're probably deluding yourself. I think that real spiritual experiences and religious experiences are often terrifying uh, because they crack our ego. They show us what we're doing wrong. They show us where we're getting it wrong and where we're deficient and where we're, we're screwing up as human beings, and that's not pleasant. But it's a lot more pleasant than not learning. You know, I mean, the, the true... You know, truly, uh, to truly hurt somebody, you know, how do I put this? You know, it's far worse to just let somebody carry on doing something that will destroy them than to get angry at them and temporarily give them discomfort and and suffering to to show them that they're doing something that's going to destroy them, if that makes sense. It does. It does. So it's really uh, pushing your your limits quite a bit when you're encountering these these higher force entities, and they certainly did challenge John D. and Edward Kelly. I mean, they constantly challenged them, according to what you found out for your book. Yeah, they did not give them an easy ride. But there are many points in the book where D. and Kelly are are overwhelmingly grateful and thankful. They, they see, I mean, you know, the angels are cruel taskmasters, cruel taskmasters, and are, are, you know, quite strict and severe and constantly threatening them and things like this. But uh, what, all they're threatening them with is showing them what's going to happen if they keep on doing what they're doing and, and screwing up. And so, uh, in a, in a, at a soul level, and so. Uh, there are many points in the diaries where Dee and Kelly fall to their knees and are tears flowing from their eyes and other gratitude saying, you know, to the angels of, of, you know, steering them towards the the truth. Yeah, and I guess it is hard to hear sometimes. I can't imagine what it was like living in back then and having this incredible experience conscious mind-blowing experience with these other beings so i mean were they basically um criticized by their contemporaries for doing what they did uh, oh these well kelly it was impossible to criticize kelly because he was already practically seen as a criminal but the these uh, career was destroyed you know he, he, mm-hmm. he his career had, had already been on the rocks but he you know, nobody took him seriously. He was more or less outcast from court. Uh, he couldn't get any of the monarchs of Europe to be interested in the stuff he was trying to tell them. Uh, and, yeah, Dee's life in the real world pretty much fell apart. He, he lived in extreme poverty uh, for most of his life, but particularly during this period because he was spending more time talking to these um, spectral beings than he was uh, doing work, you know. Which, by the way, is the real danger of magic. Everyone says, is there any danger of magic? Well, the danger is it's just like video games. You know, it's like if you get too obsessed with it, you're going to drop all your other duties. Uh, and people yeah, think that, exactly. you know, mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter. But, no, you gotta you got to take care of business, too, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they certainly the need to not have an easy ride. They neither one of them did, and and at one point, didn't they try to ask, or maybe Edward Kelly was the one who tried to ask them for money, because they didn't have any, and the angels refused to help them with that. 
<laughs> That's right. Well, they were constantly asking for money, and the, the angels were tremendously frustrated with that. The angels were telling them, you know, look, you worked for your whole life to, to figure out how to get the divine wisdom of angels and contact angels, and now we're here, and you've done it, and you're asking us for money. What is wrong with you? Uh, to which Edward <laughs> Kelly replied, well, what if we just borrow money? Is that okay? <laughs> And that's when the angels started to get pretty frustrated with them. <laughs> but I can understand that. You know, I, I, I've i often said, how do they know what it's like to live on this plane where you need to have money so that you can eat and have a roof over your head? Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to have, the angels didn't seem to have any interest in, in that at all, which I found fascinating, oh, that's, that's too. Right. I don't, not in a happy way. Yeah, that's right. And this is one of, this is one of the other challenges of magic, which is uh, translation between levels. Where you know, I think that, uh, it goes both ways. You know, hu- humans don't understand what it's like to be on those levels of existence. They don't under- often don't understand what it's like to be here because they don't have bodies. So this is a, a difficulty. And this is you know, Crowley, Alistair Crowley, calls this confusing the planes. And that you need to take each plane on its own level instead of assuming they uh, translate to each other. So that's a, that's an important thing to bear in mind in magic. You know, just because something is true on one level of reality doesn't mean it directly applies to another. Uh, yeah, because it didn't translate at all here. And these poor guys that worked so hard and brought us, even centuries later, today such a magnificent piece of, of the puzzle, but they weren't treated well when they when they lived back then. So it's just a shame, really. It's kind of sad. It is, but that said, I do have to give that a caveat, which is that the fact that Dee had some struggles is often, has often been used, actually for hundreds of years has been used by people to say, oh, well, Look, you know, like D ended in misery, therefore magic is is bad news. And they say the same thing with Crowley and lots of other people, you know, which is hilarious because, you know, you know I'll tell you just from my own experience, um, you know, if you're doing magic uh, and you don't have money, people will say, oh, well, you know, magic is, uh, you know, will lead to ruin. And, you know, like if if you don't have money, why don't you just manifest yourself some money if you're such a great magician? And then if you do get money, they're saying, they'll say, well, you know, in my case, it's like, well, how dare you, you know, charge to do courses for magic or something like that. It's just, you know, oh, people are God. never pleased. People are, people are just, they're chattering, they're chat, they chatter away, you know. So there's no way to please people, so I've just given up completely. I just do not care anymore. But I do have to say that for D, D really did, rise to as high of a position as he could uh, could have in Elizabethan England, given his social background and his class and his training. We have to remember that England is an incredibly rigid class society, and it's not like mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of leeway to move out of where you're born. Um, and that said, I mean, yeah, yeah, yes, he suffered tremendous hardships. In his life, you know, he lost many children and his wife to the plague. Uh, he suffered great, tremendous hardship. Uh, he was constantly in debt, things like that. But look, it was, you know, Elizabethan England was practically a, a third world country. It, it was the Middle Ages. Everyone had a hard time of it. You know, Sir Francis Walsingham, who, 
uh, was the person who started the British intelligence services, also went into debt just to start them. You know, he didn't get any great uh, gifts from Elizabeth either. So, you know, we have to put that in context and be very careful about making, saying that magic is some type of causative factor in people having a hard time of things. We have to be very scientific and clear about that because, you know, it, it, was, it was the 1500s, you know. It's not like it was, it was yeah. Club Med. <laughs> Those not hard, hard times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, real hard times back then. So tell us, yeah. you've mentioned Crowley a couple of times. What's your take on Crowley? Mm-hmm. What do you think of him and his work? So Crowley was a very intelligent, very multifaceted individual that anybody who comes into magic has to grapple with, I think. And Crowley was such a complex, multi-layered being that there's parts of him that are unbelievably inspiring and genius and profound beyond words, perhaps in many cases beyond any of his contemporaries or perhaps many other historical spiritual teachers. Uh, And there are parts of Crowley that are utterly horrific and degraded and mm-hmm. evil and uh, uh, terrible and, and, and psychopathic. And those things exist within, at least theoretically, all existed in one person's lifetime. And but this is a person whose personality changed every few years of their entire life. Um, so uh, with Crowley, uh, we have to... I think that the best way to take Crowley, I mean, look, Crowley died a long time ago, right? Crowley mm-hmm. died in the 1940s. He died long before any of us uh, were born, uh, I'm assuming. And, uh, <laughs> well, most most people, you know, well, okay, I take that. Right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking about when he was born. Um, uh, he was born long before any of us were, were born. Mm-hmm. Um, but he... He died a long time ago, right? And so I think that the best way to take Crowley now for modern students is to take him almost as a Zen cone, right? It's like how how can such profound truth and such utter degradation exist in one person? And mm-hmm. just take it as a Zen cone and, and certainly don't get wrapped up in trying to emulate uh, what he did and that type no, of thing. No, definitely. You know, so... That's that's how I view Crowley. It's like, you know, Crowley is, you know, he's there. He's something to learn from. For he's he's a source to learn from for good and bad of things to do and things definitely not to do. Right. You know, certainly he spent decades as a hard drug addict. He was quite terrible to people around him. Uh, he was a mess personally, and yet many of his writings are of profound value. I think, and, and mm-hmm. particularly. It's not just his writings, by the way, because um, a lot of his writing is just like him running his mouth. But um, <laughs> it's the work. It's the work that he did to. Um, it's the work that he did to bring out in, the information from the Golden Dawn. If he hadn't done right. that, it would have been lost. And to bring out a lot of a lot of the best parts of Crowley, by the way, are Alan Bennett. Uh, they come from his teacher, Alan Bennett. It's the stuff taught mm-hmm. to him by his teacher he wrote down, which is a lot of the Eastern yogic and Buddhist exercises that he brought out to the public for the first time. Yeah, there's quite, quite so. a character, that's for sure. Mm, definitely, definitely that. But I, 
I wonder, Jason, too, with magic, is that, I mean, it's a kind of a boundaryless space uh, and a, a space with no space. It's, I, I, I wonder if you don't have your own personal development in hand and you go to take on something like what he did, I can see where things would really turn into a mess fast personally. So it does make sense that you work on yourself personally. In this day and age, there's many ways to do that before or along with your magical adventures. I think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and, and by the way, Israel Rigardi, who was Crowley's secretary and was, you know, idolized Crowley to some extent, but also was appalled by Crowley, uh, Rigardi, who later became a, a Reikian therapist, said uh, that people should have a year of therapy before they begin magic, and I think that's that's spot on. I wish that people yeah, continue to advice. follow that mm-hmm. advice. Yeah, yeah no. that is great Makes good advice. Absolutely, it is. Stop either, you know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe more than a year. Just get started with that year and keep going. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Oh, this has been so great, Jason. We can't thank you enough for such a wonderful evening talking about all these exciting things. And, again, please please tell us again your website where people go um, to participate in your classes. Yeah, well, my personal website is jasonlove.com, and you can find everything there. You can find all the new book. You can find all my books. You can find the classes. You can find blogs and podcasts, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, and you Fabulous. can follow me on Twitter at jasonlove.com. And as a special gift, I actually have a free class on magic for anyone who might be interested. And all you have to do, to, it's a free seven-day email course. It's full of podcasts and guided meditation and video training and lots and lots of good stuff. All you have to do oh. to get that class is text the word, take it out of your phone, text the word shaman, S-H-A-M-A-N, to the phone number 44222, assuming you're in the U.S. Otherwise, you can go to my website and you'll find it. But uh, it's the word shaman to the phone number 44222. And it'll send you back a text asking for your email. Give it your email, and it will sign you up for the course right away. Oh, and we fabulous! Can stay through my list. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! Thank you, for what a kind yeah. gift! I like it. Yeah. Great magic trick. Well, Delivered you. by the miracle of modern technology. No, I love it. I love yeah. it. Thank, thank you again. Thank you. Please keep it. I'm sure you'll be doing another book soon. Next week, everybody, I believe we have Jerry Wills, the great healer, coming on board. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.